again, uh, I think has, has been a week to where if I would have been God, I am guessing he was asked the question quite a few times in the last week, this very question, including myself. And that question is, God, where are you at? And I'm thinking of uh, particularly Kevin and, you know, I am Kevin. I knew Kevin fairly well. I'm not near like, like some of you guys did, PJ and some of you other guys. Maybe that were very close friends. But it still impacted me. And when I look at the situation and, and walk through the situation, you have this question of, God, where are you at? These things just don't make sense. And then Wednesday afternoon, hearing about the, you know, the, the, the three Amish men in, in Center County, uh, the dad and, and two boys in one morning dying in the silo. Three in the same family. Not only that, but that very same family, six months ago, their, ninth, their 16-year-old boy got killed in a manure spreader accident. So it's four in one family, including the dad, now in a half a year. And so we ask the question, God, where are you at? And I know you, uh, some of you here this morning have probably asked that question as well. I have asked that question. And coming through this week, it's just like, God, this, these things just do not make sense to us. And we look at the world. I mean, you know, the world is getting worse and worse, right? There's floods, there's earthquakes, there's fires, there's disasters all over the place. And now the Bible says the world is going to get worse and worse. But, uh, I mean, there's just, there's evil, there's immorality, there's lying, there's hatred, murder. You know, the world seems to be spinning out of control. And so where is God at? It's interesting to me how many people and how much money is getting spent right now, the millions of dollars that people are spending to try to control something that is out of our control. Literally, people are spending millions of dollars, hours of their time, trying to control things that they have no control over. Where is God in all this? I'm going to tell you this morning where he's at. Because the Bible says where he's at. And so we're going to look at this uh, this morning. Jesus had 12 disciples. John was one of them. And John wrote, John was a writer. He wrote the book of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He also wrote the book of Revelation. And that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. So we're, what we're looking at this morning is when John, he was in exile. He was on the island of Patmos when he wrote this. And we are going to see this morning where God's at. Revelation chapter 4. Turn your Bibles there because I want you, we're going to read this together. And we're going to look at this. Revelation chapter 4. This comes right after John wrote about the seven churches. So when you start the book of Revelation, in the beginning 
you have God revealing to John what he's supposed to say to the seven churches. And he does that. So he writes that. We have that recorded. Those are in the first <coughs> three chapters. He talks to the churches. Chapter 4. We have John getting a glimpse into heaven. So one thing I want to get straight here this morning is that there is a heaven. Time and time again in scripture it talks about heaven. So heaven is real. And I am very grateful for that. And I'm sure some of you are as well. And I know for my journey um, this may be even more uh, for some of you if, if you have loved ones closer to you that, that passed. But uh, with, since Damien passed away, when I hear my brother John, who is the father of Damien, when I hear him pray, most times when he prays, I didn't even tell him this, but most times somewhere in his prayer, even if he's praying for food, somewhere in his prayer he will say, thank you for heaven. Thank you for heaven. I am grateful for heaven. It's a real place. We know Damien is there. There's no question in our mind. That's why he preached that. So starting off here this morning, heaven's a real place. Hell is also a real place. They are eternal destinations. And our life here on earth determines which eternal destination, where are you going to spend your eternal destination. So heaven is real. Anyway, John chapter 4. Uh, let's look. We're going to read this. Uh, verse 4. This is John. It says, After these things I looked. And behold, a door standing open in heaven. So John is looking, and it says that heaven has a door. Very clearly. So a door lets people in, and it doesn't let people in. And we know who the door is. But heaven has a door. John says uh, there was a door, and it opened. The first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me. So a door opens, he gets to see in it, and he hears a voice. And it says, it's like a trumpet speaking to me. Now, I don't know what a trumpet speaking to you sounds like, but this is the second time John experiences. If you look back in the beginning of Revelation, John chapter 1, verse 10, it says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet. So that's how God is hearing the voice. I would love to know what it sounds like, but I don't know. But that's the voice, he's, that's the voice that John is hearing. It's sounding uh, like a trumpet, it says. And it talks. Here's what it says. It says, come up here. I will show you the things which must take place after this. 
So John has this awesome opportunity of seeing into heaven and what it's like. The door is open. He heard a voice, and he had an invitation that says, come up here, and I'm going to show you. So John is going up into heaven, and verse 2, it says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, what's the first thing he sees in heaven? Someone tell me. A throne. The first thing he sees when he walks into heaven is a throne. It says a throne is set in heaven. And then what's the next thing that he sees? Someone sitting on the throne. Yeah. So the very first thing is he walks into heaven. There is a throne and someone's sitting on the throne. Isaiah chapter 6. I'm just going to quick go back there. Uh, sees the same thing. I'm going to just read those, those first those verses there. Isaiah chapter 6, it says, in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. We're talking about the same throne here. We're talking about the same Lord here. Listen, there is a throne, and there is someone sitting on it. It is not an empty throne. It is vacated. God is there. It's what Isaiah saw. It's what John saw. And it's still, still real today. God is on his throne. I'm going to read these 11 verses in Revelations 4. Now, I want you to count how many times the word throne is in this chapter. All right? So if you can count and you hear the word throne, see how many times I say it. Now, I'm using the King James Version, and there is twice in verse 4 that the, King, uh, that, uh, that the New King James Version uses thrones, plural. Uh, the King James uses the word seat. The ESV uses the word thrones. So your version may not have those thrones in there, uh, but we're going to count those, okay? So I'm going to read. So listen how many times, see if you can count how many times the word throne is in these 11 verses. Chapter 4, verse 1. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. The first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, I will show you the things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper, and a sardius stone in appearance. There was a rainbow around the throne, in appearance like an ember. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes. They had crowns of gold on their head. 
From the throne proceeded lightnings, thunders, voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass-like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature like a fa had a face like a man, the fourth living creature was flying like an eagle, was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures each had six wings, they were full of eyes around and within, they did not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you have created all things. By your will they exist and were created. How many times was the word thrown in this chapter? Fourteen. Is she right? You had eleven? Fourteen? Uh, yeah, Mia, you're exactly right. There are fourteen. And you know what I'm going to do? I have $5 here. Next time your mom goes to a coffee shop or a candy shop, make sure you buy something for yourself, okay? That's just for you, all right? You're right. 14 times in this chapter, the word throne is used. Now, does anyone want to take a stab of or a guess of how many times the word throne is in the book of Revelation? Just wild guess. Does anyone just have a guess? No one wants to guess? That's fine. 46. In the book of Revelation, 46 times the word throne is used. One main point I want you to get here this morning is there is a throne, and God is on it. And so coming even for, for me... Uh, coming through a week to where you ask God, where is God? That's where he's at. God is still on his throne. It's not an empty throne. And God on his throne is in complete control. In the midst of what we think is chaos, difficult moments, friends and loved ones that are no longer here from us or here with us, where is God? On the throne. And he's in control. He's got this. These things do not surprise him. This week, when you go throughout your week, 
Maybe you'll have some things that absolutely don't go on as planned. Maybe some things will completely unravel before you this week. Maybe nothing will go right for you. But I'll tell you, at that moment, God is still going to be on his throne. He was back in the time when Isaiah saw it in chapter 6, when John saw it in the Isle of Patmos, and he's still on the throne today. That's where he's at. And he is being worshipped. You read through Revelations, worship is happening time and time and time again. We are created to be worshipers. When God created us, his intent, one of his, I believe it's one of the main intents for us to be created was to have a relationship with him and to be able to worship him. We're different than animals. We're different than trees. We're different than grass. Yes, God created all those things beautiful. We have a voice. We have a mind. We can make choices. We have choices on whether we worship God or not. When God created us, he created us to worship him. But if we choose not to, he's not going to force us to. The plan of salvation the experience of heaven, the worship, the eternal life in heaven is a choice. We're not going to be forced there. Psalms 100, and we see scripture after scripture. I'm just going to look at one this morning to where we have, uh, you know, people worshiping. Psalms 100, 1 to 5, it says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It's he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pastor. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. There's praise happening all throughout the Bible. There's praise happening in heaven as well. God is sitting on his throne, and he's being worshipped. Now imagine with me, in the Old Testament that you were a priest, and your job was to burn incense. You get the incense, you take it back in the temple, and you burn it. And we, I think most of us know uh, what the priest's job was. You would take incense and <coughs> burn it for the sacrifice and the remission of your sins. But Imagine with me here this morning that you're a priest and people bring their incense to you, their worship to you, and you're the one who takes their incense and places it back on the altar and it burns. There's some incense that people bring that you take back 
and you put on the altar, and it makes this sweet-smelling aroma. It's just beautiful. This incense burning before the Lord. There's other people bring their incense and give it to you. You take it back and you put it on and it smells like burnt rubber. It just starts smelling nasty and horrible. It just, the, the, the smoke and the smell is just, you can hardly stand how bad it is. The incense is the condition of the worshiper's heart. You follow me? Some people worship with a pure heart. They bring incense, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful smell. Other people come and worship. The condition of their heart is not right. And I think to a holy God, it can smell like burnt rubber. So how does it look like when you go to worship? Do you bring, does your worship bring a, a sweet smelling aroma to God? Out of the condition of your heart? Or do you come to worship with an impure heart? Just a heart marked with unconfessed sin? unconfessed shame, unconfessed guilt. And you come to worship in your heart, with your heart being in that state, and it's a horrible smell to our Heavenly Father. See, the condition of your heart is important when you worship. There is a throne God is on the throne. He's looking for worshipers. He loves the worship of his people. I'm just going to read a few more verses in Revelation, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 1. of what happened in the beginning of, of the book of Isaiah when he started writing. I'm just, I'm going to read, I'm not going to read, I'm going to start in, in, in verse 7. But the book of Isaiah, uh, here again, the vision of Isaiah, which he saw concerning Judah, Jerusalem, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, king of Judah. And it starts talking about the wickedness of Judah. Uh, in verse 7, it says, Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned. Strangers devour your land in your presence. It's desolate. It's overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in the vineyard, as a hut in the garden of the cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have become like Gomorrah. And he's really laying this out here. Because he's comparing them to Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or in the lambs of goats or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand? To trample my courts? Verse 13, bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of the assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They're a trouble to me. I'm weary of burying them, bearing them. When you spread out your hand, I will hide my eyes from you. Get this, even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. So he's stating, talking about a case, uh, uh, the state that their heart is in. And he's coming against very strongly. He says, God hates this. Don't bring me sacrifices and worship me if this is the condition of your heart. But then in verse 15, here's what he says as well. He says, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your eyes. Sorry, put away the evil of your doings before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured before the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I love this. He doesn't just bring a problem, but then he comes with a solution. And so here this morning, before worship, obviously it's why we have the message here this morning before worship. I want us to come into worship recognizing there is a throne. It is occupied by your Heavenly Father. He is sovereign. He is in control. The earth that we're on is temporary. This world's not our home. We're just passing through. We are eternal beings. This earth is just the appetizer before the main meal. It's the warm-up of what's to come. It's the practice before the real game. It's the pregame before the real thing. This earth is just a short moment of time before the real thing. And this morning as we worship, if there is something there 
that is unconfessed, unpure, something God is revealing to you that when you bring it, it just stinks to him. What we just read from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15 on. Confess, repent. God is still there. It can still be confessed and repented and be made completely new. And so I'm asking this morning as we're going to, uh, as just as we worship this morning that, that you could do that. You may talk to God while you sing. You don't have to wait to pray until you get home. So just as we worship this morning, let's do it in spirit, in truth, recognizing that there's a God. Let me back up. There's a throne. There is someone sitting on the throne. And he will not vacate that throne. Let's stand to pray. And then when we're done, PJ, you can come up and lead us this morning. Father in heaven, thank you so much for each person here. Lord, I want to thank you for creating us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you're our Heavenly Father. Thank you that you just long to have a relationship with us. Father, thank you for heaven. An eternal home. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. But yet, Father, the choices that we make this short time on earth determines our destiny. Father, thank you for heaven. Thank you for the throne. Thank you that you're on the throne. You are God. You are sovereign. You have control. In the midst of sometimes what appears so chaotic in our lives, you're in control. You got this. You're on your throne. Thank you for the worship that's happening in heaven. Thank you for this uh, picture that we have in Revelations 4, what we just read this morning of John being able to see into heaven and just give us a little glimpse of the worship that's going on around the throne. Father, this morning as we worship you, just with the songs we sing as we close out the service, that we could truly worship you this morning in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead, PJ.